Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks, episode 79. That's right, one more away from 80. Uh, this is Ryan Sullivan, recording June 8th, 2021. Thank you for listening in. Very, very muggy here, man. Whew! Be very human once I go to sleep. <laughs> anyway, uh, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content, and definitely, definitely got some stuff to talk about for this episode. Talking about the NBA playoffs, talk about the LA Lakers a, a little bit, talk about the big trade in the NFL of Julio Jones, talk some films, talk about Super Mario Brothers, Raiders of the Lost Ark, gaming stuff, talk about a ROM site that got sued, and one or two other things probably relating to gaming in this episode of Geeks and Jocks. So, let's get cracking down to uh, the sports. So, the NBA playoffs, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in terms of ratings and if people are interested in the teams that are in the second round right now. So, the big thing was the uh, Phoenix Suns. Eliminating the L.A. Lakers. And as far as I know, as far as the series go altogether, I don't think there's been any major incidents since the idiot that uh, ran on the uh, court in the 76er Wizards game. So I don't think anything major has occurred since. So that's a good sign. But the question now will be, with the Lakers eliminated, does the NBA get a boost in ratings because LeBron James is not in the playoffs, or does it drop a little bit? I don't know. I mean, it, it, the big thing regarding James is that it a, a lot of people definitely were excited to see him get eliminated. First time ever in the first round in his career that he got eliminated. And all this talk about legacy and just the obnoxious Michael Jordan fan base altogether. Now, granted, I don't think James's fan base is any better. They both sides suck. And all this legacy talk, as I said, um, I think in the short run, James will be a Hall of Fame player. No doubt. He will still be looked at as a legend. But as far as looking at it long term, the longevity of his career, I think it's hard to really put him above Kobe Bryant. Or even even say, for some people, even a Tim Duncan. And I say this as someone that th- thinks Duncan... 
I think people overrate Duncan a little bit. Like, he was a good player, but I don't think he was that phenomenal. That was more like a team-based group altogether. And I, he was more of a defensive guy, and, I mean, sure, could score points, but I feel like I feel like there was, like, equal value altogether when you look at what San Antonio had as far as their players go. Um I mean, unfortunately, I mean, it, the, the, you know, you look at other stuff, like the fact that, I guess on TNT, not too long uh, ago, that uh, Charles Barkley considered the uh, the championship from last year of not real. And I think that's something, I think with some of these sports uh, leagues, is happening. Like a lot of people don't consider these these championships real, just because of all the things that occurred um, last year. And saying that you know, it was a fluke, and they even said the same thing regarding the Miami Heat. The Heat got eliminated from their series as well. So, yeah, can't say I fault guys like Barkley for saying that. Now, whether he's saying that for attention or not, I do not know. I mean, it's nice to see James get knocked down a peg or two. I get that. But it, this, 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 there's this toxicity going on with between James's fan base and the Michael Jordan fan base. Seriously, it, it, it just seems like that's all it ever is now these days over the last couple of years. Maybe longer, maybe shorter, I don't know. But the Michael Jordan fan base, in my opinion, is one of the worst fan bases in all of sports. And the sad thing is, Jordan had a fantastic career. You could make that argument of him being in the top three, top five. Just because of how he played the game. My biggest beef with all this is that people like like the like the fan base, I'm not sure if I even want to call them fans, more like angry little man children I see online. They they overinflate Jordan like he was that perfect. It's like watching Saturday Night Live with the Bill Swirsky super fans thing, those nut jo- those nut job Chicago fans, like it, like I feel like that really describes the awful fan base today. That it's basically watching worse versions and unfunny versions of Bill Swirsky super fans. I do miss Chris Farley. That dude was funny. <sighs> anyway. Uh, no, it's it, it gets so annoying that it's like there's there was there's great players that existed long before Michael Jordan. Like why 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 do they get left behind? You know your Pistol Pete's, your Dr. J's, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think Abdul-Jabbar is. That I would I would look at him as being better than Jordan. 
Now, that's not to say Jordan was a bad player or anything like that, but Jordan, I think... The, I think the fans make it worse in terms of how they rate him. And I think people have a rose-tinted glasses feel when it comes to Jordan. They're looking at it, I think, from a biased perspective. And yes, the six championships do count. The scoring titles do help. The being big on defense, the steals, everything... That does help Jordan, but he was not perfect. He was not the perfect player. No player is ever perfect. I mean, there might be some stuff, but there might be some small things here and there that do put out some small nitpicks, maybe some minor criticisms. And I think there's a lot more flaws to James. I think people fail to realize, like, there are a lot more issues. The whole super team thing, giving up quite easily. And then that was, like, the big thing. Refusing to to shake hands with Chris Paul and the rest of the Suns after uh, Game 6, I believe. Like, you gotta show some showmanship. And when you add in the heavy political stances and the way he harasses people online... When is it going to click in Adam Silver's head that James's behavior is unacceptable? For a guy that's supposed to be a role model, he keeps continuing to make himself look like an ass. And it's a shame because it overshadows Phoenix winning a first round series, I think for the first time in a like long time. You have the Brooklyn Nets beating up on uh, Boston. Now they're beating up on the Milwaukee Bucks. The latest game, a 39-point blowout win. Right now, they're looking like to be a favorite to win the championship. They look like to be the finals favorite. If it ain't them, that's either going to come down, I think, to Philadelphia. If they can even stay healthy, which is one of the biggest problems. Joel Embiid can't even stay healthy. I think there was like a broadcast I heard. Three straight years in the playoffs. Can't stay healthy. I mean, it's just something with something with these Sixers. Like like one bad injury and it derails their season. Right now, that might happen with the Nets, potentially, with uh, James Harden being out right now. But with all these other guys, that could, that could still be a, a good team altogether. It's just a matter of who carries the load. And honestly, I think with the way that team looks, that to me looks like a manufactured uh, team, you know, that got bought out to win the championship. So it does, I think, cheapen the championship if they do win it. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're good. I mean, they got fantastic players, but it feels like a bought-out team just to win a championship. I don't know who makes it to the to win the Western Conference. Unless there's some surprises, uh, potentially, I think 
I think Utah could be the could be the favorite to win the conference. Uh, maybe Denver. I don't know. I'm going to look at some of these other games. I actually want to take a look, see what that score is. And, uh, ooh, Phoenix uh, beat Denver. Actually, see who the other team is. Uh, yeah, I could see. I, could, I see it between, like, Jazz and Suns to be the uh, Western Conference. Um, Atlanta could surprise people. They did win their first game. Uh, against the Sixers, so I mean, if if they find a way to upset uh, Philadelphia, I mean, that could be probably the talk of the town or talk of the league. Considering that Atlanta as a whole, as a sports city, they haven't won anything since '95 with the Atlanta Braves. They've come close. They've come close in Super Bowls. They've come close in World Series. The closest thing they ever had to winning a series altogether, I think, was a year later after that World Series. Atlanta, the World Series again, 2-0 against the Yankees. Lose their final three games ever at, at Fulton County. Lose game six. Uh, Yankees win the series. And actually, right now, uh, another team that is in the running, not the NBA, you know, NHL. I believe the Montreal uh, Canadiens swept the Winnipeg Jets. And I don't think they've been to a conference championship. I don't think they've been to it in seven years. Maybe maybe they have in, in the last couple of years. I don't think they have in the last couple of years, actually. The last time I really remember them being in the conference championship was 2014. Or... It was either them or Pittsburgh. I forget. I gotta look at that because they they did face the Rangers in that series. I gotta look at that. That, that, that was like a young PK Subban. All right, here we go. Let's see. All right. Yep, conference finals. Lost to the Rangers six games. Swept the uh, Lightning, won against Boston in seven games. I think that was like the only series prior to the Stanley Cup the Rangers didn't have like a seven-game series. But one of the scarier things to occur happened uh, in game one. So, game one, Jake Evans scores an empty net goal. But in the ensuing hit from Mark Shifley, uh, Evans gets knocked out cold. And a little scrum, and Evans had to be put on a, uh, a stretcher. And one of the more scarier things to occur and I guess things are gonna have been getting a little ugly and yeah the fans the fans are not making this this is from the USA Today from a few days ago uh, the Shifley family getting a lot of hate messages 
Like, that is, I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, he got suspended four games, Shifley. I kind of figured it would be high. I figured it would have been the rest of the series. But it underlies, I think, a big issue. And I think really the inconsistency of player safety. But, yeah, the fans, the fans of Montreal, I mean, I know they haven't had anything since 1993, but that's just, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I do think the play was dirty. I think the way, if he, if he went after the puck, I don't, or like charged in a way where he didn't go for Evan's head. I don't think we'd be talking about this. But it has been kind of rough with the NHL recently. And honestly, I I really think George Paris should be fired as the head of player safety. I don't think this guy really puts much effort. But I think with this, they probably are looking at stuff now and probably... I mean, I would like to see more of it, but they probably realize the amount of crap they get if they don't take care of things strictly. I think going light on the Tom Wilson incident, I think it kind of exposed player safety as a fraud, which is funny because you think for all the criticism of the uh, NFL and their issues with injuries and concussion protocols. I'd actually be curious to see what happens this year with 17 games of the NFL, and if that causes more injuries compared to having a 16-game season. But the NHL is just as bad, and they they need to find a way, and it's not going to be an easy solution or a good short-term solution, but they have to find a way to keep the physicality in the sport and still keep it the way that it's been played for a long time, but they have to find a way to make it as an example of you target a specific part of the body, you know, like spearing a body part or going full speed into someone's head, there will be dire consequences. Now, I I, I think... The Shifley guy would have been would have been charged with a penalty, regardless. But I think the penalty would have been maybe a lot less strict if if he didn't if he didn't aim for the head. That's that's just my take on it. Uh, NHL really needs to clean this up, and. Thankfully, no other big things occurred, so, yeah. Uh, New York Islanders leading their series right now. They're facing the uh, Boston Bruins. Tampa Bay Lightning look like looking like they'd be the favorite to go back to the Cup. Won it last year, facing the Carolina Hurricanes. Vegas Golden Knights... Still in their series against Colorado, but we haven't really seen a really strong Colorado team. The last time they won a championship was back in 01. Crazy to think. <laughs> that used to be the Quebec Nordiques. 
yeah. Speaking of NFL, uh, the big thing being Julio Jones. He is now a Tennessee Titan, unless there was other, unless there was stuff that prevented the trade. It, he is a Tennessee Titan. I think it was in exchange for like a couple draft picks. I think both both teams, the Atlanta Falcons and the uh, Tennessee Titans, they both got got some draft picks. Let's see, yeah, six rounder to Tennessee, and second and fourth round to Atlanta. So both teams seem like they'll do okay heading into the draft next year. Now, Jones got drafted in 2011, was their big receiver, like, from the get-go, although they still had Roddy White, and he was still their big-name threat, and a young Matt Ryan, of course. They lit it up. The best year coming in uh, 2015, with over 1,800 yards, probably at one point considered the big threat to what Calvin Johnson did uh, back in 2012. Missed it, but, you know, still, for what he's done, his numbers are, I think, pretty comparable to Jerry Rice. I'm not sure if he reached the same amount of numbers as Rice when Rice played from his rookie season in 85 to 94, but Rice had some really, really good numbers. So let's see... I just want to look at this for a moment. Because Rice was a big hit from the get-go. So let's see. So altogether for his career, 22,000 yards. Let's see, 927, 1,500, so Eighty-nine, eleven thousand. Uh, yeah, Rice's Rice's numbers. Just looking at it, are definitely a little better compared to what um, Jones has. But Jones ain't that far behind. And Tennessee gets themselves a really strong rece- receiver for uh, Ryan Tannehill to throw to, and it'll definitely alleviate some of the pressure on. Tannehill and Derrick Henry. I do wonder from a fantasy perspective how this will impact, I think, A.J. Brown and uh, and Henry. Henry coming off a 2,000-yard season, he'll definitely regress a little bit, but I still think Derrick Henry will be a dominant rushing guy this year. The way he's played over the last two and a half years, he's He's really been their Eddie George of the of the 2010s in the 2020s, of course. Uh, how this? I mean, Atlanta's going to have to rebuild. I think one of the big questions will be how much longer will they keep Matt Ryan? He's done a lot of things for Atlanta. Will he leave at some point, or will he just retire? 
in one of the other stories as well, uh, coming out of, I think, in regards to Green Bay and how much more of the antics will Green Bay take of Aaron Rodgers. There's there's a question on whether or not uh, Rodgers will go to Denver. They got Teddy Bridgewater, but do they have confidence in him? Uh, it's just that's just there's just a toxic environment right there, and honestly, I do not know if there will. Be a good relationship ever again out of uh, out of Green Bay and Rodgers. Will they even be contenders if Rodgers does leave? I mean, I I, I know Rodgers has criticized the team for how they've handled draft picks and trades and free agency. I mean, that's been pretty noticeable. I don't know where they go. That's all I'm going to say. Um, you know what's one of the sadder things I forgot to mention? It was like a week or two ago, the retirement of Adam Vinatieri. That guy, one of the most prolific kickers of the 2000s and 2010s. The way he was able to be clutch for New England and Indianapolis. I would think he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but knowing how the NFL is, man, I don't know. And lastly, with uh, NASCAR, uh, Kyle Larson winning it again. Putting another win for Hendrick Motorsports. Third of the year in this at his home state, California, Sonoma. It was like their first race there in two years. Crazy, I know. But it is a sign, I mean... Things kind of getting back to normal. We're not we're not out of it yet, but still, it's. I'm sure California appreciates seeing a guy like Larson, you know, one of their big guys, and seeing NASCAR all together. So this will definitely be one of the big stories of the year, um, as far as. Larson goes with what he did last year with the with the racial slur. Um, he still definitely has some has a way to go, but so far it hasn't affected how he has performed. And I mean, he he was always like one of the underrated drivers for for NASCAR, and he did a lot of stuff for uh, Chip Ganassi. And, Finally, the last, I'd say, three, four years, even prior to that incident, he was becoming a household name somewhat, especially among these uh, new generation drivers, you know, of the last six, seven years. Like, they, like these young guys are slowly becoming the faces of NASCAR. You look at what uh, Chase Elliott has done, you know, as far as like being a road course master in his young career. 
you look at you look at Hendrick altogether. I mean, it's young guys: William Byron, uh, Alex Bowman. All four of them have punched their ticket into the playoffs, and they're they're doing this against some of these veterans of you know Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, uh, Kyle Busch, and Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex, like. And then you get someone like, say, Michael McDowell, who really hasn't shown much, but that Daytona win will will be interesting to see um, if he even contends in the playoffs. We're seeing, say, like you want to see like Matt Benedetto try and win a race. Right now, I think one of the biggest disappointments. I don't know what Bubba Wallace has done in recent. Uh, points during the season, but so far I don't think I don't think he's done all that great and with the support with was it, I think Michael Jordan, I think I gotta look at that because I don't like, there's points where the guy keeps doing really well, but he just keeps struggling 14th, I mean that's it's not good, but it's better than it's better than what you think I just want to see his stats. Where is it? Do they have a stat on him? Because I know he's... Because I know he hasn't... Yeah, Michael Jordan, the owner. Let's see. Camping World Truck wins. I'm just looking at where he finished, so definitely middle of the pack or low tiered. Like his best finish was sixteen, a number in Phoenix, Atlanta, Martinsville, eleven at Dover. That that was his best finish. So twenty third in points, like probably not a good sight at all as far as as far as Wallace goes. You know, I mean, there's talent. It's just a matter of just getting into that top ten. You know, I mean, but he's struggling even against, like, some of these other drivers that have been around for six, seven years. You know, youth movement is a good thing, though. Definitely brings some new faces that could lead the sport into the 2020s. So enough rambling of sports. How about some movies? So this this story that I'll talk about is interesting because it's been a two-year project. And not many people knew about it until I think the last week or so. Now, there have been a number of movies over the years that have gotten extended cuts, director's cuts. I think one of the latest ones that I could think of is Rocky IV. And I think they did some small cuts. They, I think they cut the whole robot thing with uh, Polly in that film. But out of all the films to find, like, extended cuts... Super Mario Brothers. Now, if you were to look at movies from 
the 80s, 90s, maybe the 2000s a little bit as well, there are, you'll, you'll see it in trailers of these films, there are shots of movies that do not make the final cut. I think that's pretty simple to see. Uh, you have, I mean, there and some of these movies that have made it to DVD, Blu-ray, um, they they might have some of these cut scenes. Otherwise, if not, then it's you can only find these in trailers. So, Super Mario Brothers. So this was one of the very first video game adaptations for the big screen. And done by Hollywood Pictures, which I believe Disney owned. It came out in May of 1993. It had a $44 million budget and only made $20 million. Not a lot of people liked it. Uh, despite a reasonable cast of, you know, like Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, uh, Samantha Mathis, and uh, Dennis Hopper as your main characters. And the movie, it, it differed greatly from the games, which at the time when the movie was being made, you had Mario 1, 2, and 3, Mario World, and the Mario Land like at least Mario Land. I don't know when exactly they filmed in 92, but probably before uh, Mario Land 2 came out. And probably even before Mario Kart. So there, there isn't a lot to Mario in terms of story. There still isn't a lot of story for Mario. And so it's pretty difficult to even translate the franchise into a film adaptation. And it was kind of a dark, dystopian type of world in a, from another universe. And with, with bad guys that were just as dumb as the Wet Bandits. Uh, a bad guy that could do some very gruesome stuff in a PG sense, of course. Uh, like, it, this, this felt more than just... Felt a little more than just being a PG film, and, and that also added in the goofy soundtrack from the guy that that did Back to the Future and many other films. Like, it's a weird film. It is a really weird film, and it it must have done decently on VHS, and it has it has made its way to DVD and. Uh, Blu-ray over the years. There was they. I think the Blu-ray might have had some extra stuff, you know, like extra features and even like talk about behind-the-scenes stuff. So this project of the extended cut, it brought up by like Slash Film, Sci-Fi.com, like about a. About a group of fans finding a uh, extended rough cut of the film on VHS, and it took, or as of now, it took it has taken at least two years to 
do kind of like a remaster, like a redo, like with better colors and better lighting effects, better effects to make the picture quality look look sharp, especially as you can get while being similar to VHS films of the day. I mean, it's it's a worthy thing to do, but. I'm not sure Nintendo would want to acknowledge this cut. I'm not sure if Universal would even allow it, or even Disney. I don't know if this is something that could go into mass production or anything, unless these people produce it enough. And in their way, it's a way to present the vision, as they said, of what the directors had in mind. And it was like extended stuff of... The, the side villains wanting to be good instead of bad. So a couple, couple other stuff involving Mario Brothers plumbing against another plumbing group, Scapelli. I mean, it, I mean the, the movie's all over the place from what it sounds like. And I'm not sure if they had really a good idea on what they were truly making when they when they made it, but... A little more development, from what it sounds like, and that's always something that comes to mind. Like a movie is underdeveloped. Oh, they went too much into it. You know, I mean, some people do want entertainment, but they but they wanted to get some context into what's going on. Like, so it gives characters some attention. Like, why do they exist? What are they doing? What is their purpose? And, you know, I think also the problem being a kid's film, you know, probably kids wouldn't want a two-hour movie. I think the rough cut, which I think the extended cut is actually about 20 minutes long, as they said in in the stories. So another, yeah, like, just a slither over two hours. And, I, I mean, I don't think it'll improve... Like, it definitely will not improve the film's reception by a lot. But if it makes people appreciate the film filmmaking of it, which I heard was pretty rough, uh, maybe, maybe it might make people look at the film from a different angle. But still, it created that trend of movies from video, video game adaptations not being the best. Is they had a like way before like all these like very low budget video game adaptations or adaptations of video games into films. Uh, there was Mario, which failed critically and commercially. Double Dragon, complete fail. Street Fighter, critically failed, but commercially did okay. Mortal Kombat did decent, I think, critically and commercially. Uh, the sequel of Mortal Kombat was a failure. Tomb Raider, the first one at least, did decently. But I don't think critics were too kind to it. <clears throat> Resident Evil did moderately well, I believe. But critics weren't kind on it. Um, the Tomb Raider sequel flopped. No one really cared for it. And then you get to like the low-tiered stuff. Like, like House of the Dead and Postal and all this other stuff. Although there's... There were some ones that did decent. You know, the Resident Evil sequel still made money. Silent Hill, I think, did okay. 
Doom was a big flop, although it had some interesting scenes. But definitely in the last few years, I mean, the like the video game adaptations, the video games into movies, I don't know why I keep fumbling my words with it, but it keeps, they've done much better commercially. I think Sonic the Hedgehog really, I think Sonic the Hedgehog really helped altogether. Along with, uh, what was it, Rampage. Yeah, I forget, I think there was like one other film, I forget. Uh, but one of the big questions will be on whether or not Uncharted will do well. I think there is a good chance it can, it, it, it's hard to tell because it, it could really flop or it could do really, really well. And the movies are centered around, um... You know, treasure hunting and stuff, which can it differ enough to stand out and not be compared directly to not only Tomb Raider, but Indiana Jones as well. Time will tell when it comes out. And speaking of which, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark turning 40 around this month. And it's crazy just how big of a deal this film was when it came out in 81. Like, it was the summer hit. And it really, I mean, it bolstered, I think, Spielberg tremendously. Not to say he wasn't recognized, but to be one of the big summer blockbuster kings to be doing this in 81, and then a year later... The biggest movie of '82 and ET, the extraterrestrial, like put him in that contention of a guy that knew films, knew which ones would work, which ones wouldn't, to be able to garner huge receptions and make boatloads of money. And it—that's the thing that I was going to say with like the comparisons to Uncharted and. Um, and Tomb Raider, I mean, Indiana Jones was just about treasure hunting, evading the Nazis, at least with Raiders of the Lost Ark, to say the least. It just, the combo of like being similar to older films of like the 30s, and the score from uh, John Williams, like, and it really made Harrison Ford be more than just Star Wars. I think this movie really helped his career a lot more. And then you add in some of the other stuff that he did over the years, including uh, Blade Runner, Witness, and many other films. Like, like he was not a one-hit wonder with his films. Like, the guy could build a career on playing many, many characters. And honestly, it's it, it is one of the best films of the uh, '80s Raiders. You know, it, just the way it's edited. Like I said, the score, uh, knowing when to have the action, and when to build the story. Even though George Lucas is not that great of a storyteller. Um, if I had to pick a favorite of the series, though, I, I can't really put one. If I had to, it probably 
probably would be Last Crusade just because of the dynamic of Ford and Sean Connery. That father and son type thing. Like, it just... I think it just... It makes the film, I think, a little more lighter tone, but to put their heads together to 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 beat the Nazis to the Holy Grail in that film, like that was always. I think it just elevated it just a little bit. But Raiders is still a really really good film. Speaking of other stuff involving film, I think they just started. Uh, make, they're starting to make the fifth one. Curious to see where the, what direction that goes. I think there have been plans for a fifth one for a long time. Only now are they starting to... Uh, I think they're starting to get into it now. Let's look at some box office numbers. Because one of the big things that I was listening to before... Uh, before... Uh, before recording was uh, was the F9 sequel making 250 million internationally and most of that coming from China that's kind of surprising it like over two being be close to 200 million maybe it has passed it or not I don't know but still I think it I think it makes sense that I think the John Cena Controversy, I don't think detracted much, but still, you'd wonder. You do wonder if the movie could have done bigger or not. But all right, let's see what we got here because Conjuring, yeah, Conjuring actually did pretty well. Number one, three movies, double digit uh, in double digit millions, which is a welcoming sign. Actually, a fourth one doing more than five million. That that is probably a welcoming, welcoming sight. So, Conjuring Double made me do it. Twenty four million. That is pretty impressive altogether. I don't, I don't think these movies are that major of hits, but they do uh, put themselves up as. Uh, you know, someone that could still hang with the best. Uh, Quiet Place Part 2, I believe. It's, it'll inch its way to towards 100 million, at least here uh, domestically. It'll definitely reach 150, maybe 175 mil quicker than I think people will realize. 19.5 million. That Cruella film actually made 11.2. That's that's interesting. So it didn't drop too heavily, but not too greatly either. Uh, Spirit Untamed, which is, a, I believe, a sequel to a movie that came out long ago. I think, like, maybe less than 20 years ago. Around 20 years ago, I think. I think, but... 6.2 million, I mean, for, for doing something, you know, that I think had, like, a small following years ago, uh, that's not, that's not too bad, but not too great either, and rounding it out, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, that, 
there must be something going on with that film. Like, well, I want to look at the numbers all together. So it's made $53 million altogether. I wonder if this has anything to do with, like, maybe some of these movie theaters, they believe in the film or something to where, you know, it's it's a Disney film. So let's try and get some of these Disney releases into the movie theaters. Because the movie's been out since... Late February, early March. I'd like to see when it... Yeah, early March. It's been out for just over three months now. So maybe... Maybe it has more to do with... I'm just going to look at it all together. Eight million five, like... Like, it's still steadily... Making one making over a million at least every every weekend. I I just don't get it. I'm like maybe 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 movie theaters opening up a little more. But this comes as many studios. There's some there's some interesting stuff going on with. Uh, with with studios and I guess Disney tried buying uh, DC. I think there was like plans at some point, and there was stuff like Warner Media merging with uh, Discovery. Uh, just just a bunch of stuff. I have no clue what's going on, but one of the big things is potentially Disney buying out. Uh, DC Comics. I don't think anyone wants to see Disney do that. I don't think anyone wants to see Disney do that. I think we are getting to that point where maybe the you know not a lot of people are going to like the idea of Disney owning everything. I don't think anyone would want to see that. I'm going to look at this blog from uh, FrankiesComics.com. This is from May 28th, so I guess there was a point where uh, Disney tried bidding for Time Warner in 2016. I know Warner Brothers was struggling a little bit around that time. Batman vs. Superman did really well, and Suicide Squad did really well, but but critics were not kind to it, and I don't think they're I don't think they made as big a profit as they anticipated. So it's just, it just—I feel like it would—it would stifle the comic book movies and have these toned-down versions of stuff like Batman and just be this generic type, generic films that that play it way too safe. And there's some stuff going on with with Warner Brothers with some of their DC stuff, like like the Flash. Like they're starting to introduce stuff with like trying to connect it with what Tim Burton had with with Batman back in like from the '89 and '92, and you know bringing back Michael Keaton to play Batman. And there was actually some images that brought up like the look of the original of of the Burton Batmans like the suit at least 
I don't know if there's just if they're trying to cater to something or not, or try to make it similar to like X Men Days of Future Past. I I, I don't know. Like one of the big things, also this this happened, I believe, but Amazon buying uh, MGM. So MGM. MGM's been around for a very, very long time. And this was a couple weeks ago. $8.45 billion. So MGM's done a lot of films over the years. You know, stuff like Wizard of Oz. Uh, they did the Rocky films with United Artists. They have done many movies with uh, that involving the character James Bond. So I mean, MGM is not one of the big, big films, big film studios. I mean, they have been points where they have done extremely well, and this is according to CNBC.com. Hopes to leverage MGM's storied filmmaking history, 4,000 films, 17,000 TV shows to help bolster Amazon Studios. Yeah, I mean, Amazon has been considered quite a bit, seriously, for for the films that they've put in and the TV shows that they've made. I mean, they, they're serious about what they want to do. So... I mean, this has to do a lot, I think, with streaming being the future, as evidenced by the article. Uh, Rain competitive, looking to beef up their content libraries to win over subscribers. Same time, media juggernauts have undergone further consolidation to achieve greater scale to take on the likes of Amazon and Netflix. 43 billion? Is that a typo? Discovery merging with Warner Media. I don't know if everyone would be interested in seeing these mergings and all of that. I mean, uh, I mean, I think people would like to see a little bit of competition, and Amazon is definitely trying to make. I mean, and that includes the the NFL stuff to have Thursday Night Football exclusively on Amazon. Let's see what else. Hmm. Made some TV shows. Epic's show owns Survivor. Color me surprised. I figured CBS would have some stake in that. Wow, like this team, like they were struggling, like really struggling. Bankruptcy in 2010, I didn't know about that. I mean, let's see, comes after antitrust claims. I think that's one of the big issues is like, are they going to jack up these prices for stuff? I know Netflix has increased its prices at times over the years. 
Like, are you going to get a lot? Are you going to get a lot of bang for your buck now, or are you going to get a lot of bang for your buck in five years' time as they uh, try to? I guess going after Amazon with the pricings. The problem with Amazon, it, I, it definitely comes down to I think the way people. I mean, people price their stuff the way they want to, and that I think can be a turnoff. That I think can be a very huge uh, turnoff. I mean, you could put that with any bidding site or buy it now site. eBay definitely really bad with it, especially in stuff that may not have had a huge print run. You'll see some stuff go for hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. Too much stuff, and you know the the average person is not. I mean, unless they've been saving for a rainy day, I mean, it's not going to be enough. You know, for a lot of people, there's a reason why people budget for their for stuff. They budget so they can save up and get money to to purchase some of these specific products. Sometimes, I mean, I do like, I, w- I would like to maybe buy some stuff online, but uh, it's just sometimes the prices do keep me from wanting to, you know, buy stuff. Depending on what it is and if I think it's really important. So, yeah. Actually, with some other comic book stuff, there's some stuff. There was like some things with, um, I think it was like Spider-Man. I don't know if they're trying to do something similar like with, like, like the X-Men universe or something along that line, but it seems like they're trying to like connect all their stuff with, uh, No Way Home. And, uh, I, I think one of the big rumors, I listened to a video Oh man, it's just like I'm just I'm just wondering if they could really pull it off. Like one of the one of the big things, like like they've gotten like a number of 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 people to come back and. Um, and reprise roles from you know the Raimi films and the Amazing Spider-Man films. I think like the big the big ones are like Jamie Fox. Uh, who else? Uh, what was the Alfred Molina? I think his name is. I think one of the big things now is is potentially Willem Dafoe coming back to play Green Goblin. Like that was like probably one of them, probably one of his most prolific roles outside of like Platoon and several other stuff. Well, look at that because that was like one of the big big things. Like it like that's like the, people are wondering like how many of these people are they going to bring back? Uh, Toby Maguire or 
Kirsten Dunst, Andrew Garfield, like, like, is it doing too much? Is it being too ambitious? Because I know there was the Spider-Verse film that came out a few years ago. That did pretty well. Granted, it's a little different, but... Trying to connect it all, it's just... Are, are, are they just getting too cute with with this stuff? And even I think with bringing back Michael Keaton for the Batman stuff and the Flash, probably getting too cute for its for its own good. Like, do we really need overly complicated stories? Like, it's nice to see the medium have some deep thought, but why not just make something simple? You know. And try to connect it with the bloated cinematic universe of Marvel. Granted, I'm not an expert on any of this because I'm not, because I've never really seen any of these cinematic universe films and kind of are turned off by how many fucking movies there are of them. But, just, whatever happened to simplicity? I'm not saying, like, rush out a 90 minute film but damn like I think people are just going to get more confused <laughs> especially anyone that hasn't seen the Raimi films or the Amazing Spider-Man films moving on video games so this was I think not too long after recording the last episode, but Nintendo going after a ROM site. ROM Universe, I believe it was called. And them getting sued by Nintendo, yep, a week ago, about a week ago. So, $2.1 million in damages, Nintendo won a case against this ROM universe site because I get from from what from what I read it the guy that ran it charged to get people to to you know to, to upgrade and get access to ROMs so ROMs as far as like emulating it's been around for at least 25 years or so and it's been integral to a number of people over the years. Yeah, piracy is a thing, but there are people that are playing them just for the sake of playing them. You got ones that can't find games that they want to play. Uh, prices might be too expensive. I mean, there's multiple factors. <sighs> multiple, multiple factors that come into play with with emulation. And many ROM sites have popped up over the years. And Nintendo is one of the companies that goes after them, even if even if they're not charging or anything. And that's always been an issue that I've had with the company. Uh, it's not like the NES library is getting on to uh, Wii U, 3DS, the Switch. Like, the entire library is not getting there. So it hurts, you know, the the games that don't get 
the re-releases that don't see the light of day that are often expensive hard to find like it is not easy to to get access to titles if they if they go after these sites legally or illegally but this is a case where Nintendo fully in the right on this one and the reason why I say that is I mean this is I mean it's pretty obvious charging for these ROMs like, are you just asking to get yourself hurt by by the company, or any company for that matter? Whether it's an NES game or a Switch game, I mean, very obvious. Very, very obvious. When will people learn? I mean, I say this as someone that likes the concept of emulation and emulators like what like what are you what are you asking what are you trying to do one of the bigger things uh, popping up over the last week or two uh, Sonic the Hedgehog with Sonic Origins collection I was thinking about saving this for the last for, for the next episode but I figured try to get Get this put up now, and for the next episode, talk 30 years of Sonic. Uh, so, this year is Sonic the Hedgehog's 30th anniversary, and Sega has been putting out some stuff about, you know, you know, potential releases of games, and for their mascot, a remaster of a game called Sonic Colors which was exclusive to Nintendo Systems in 2010. It was on the DS and Wii. One of the more respected games in the franchise. Potentially a brand new game. This stuff, I think, is being teased for next year, by the way. And Sonic Origins Collection. It's a re-release of... The Genesis games, the first game, second, and this one will definitely help them. Uh, three and Sonic and Knuckles, and the Sega CD, Sonic CD. From reports, it's widescreen versions, which there is some precedent to it. So when December comes along, it'll mark ten years maybe November actually, 10 years since Sonic CD made its way to modern systems. Compared to, compared to its, to the cartridge counterparts, Sonic CD has not really seen a lot of re-releases. It just hasn't. And the game has been around for 27 years going back to the fall of 93. It was re-released on computers in the fall of 96. That's That was actually my main way of playing Sonic CD um, with the Windows version. Came out uh, December 2011. Yeah. Redone from the ground up from uh, Christian Whitehead. And the game elevated him to some impressive status for Sega that they got him to do 
re-releases of the first two Genesis Sonic games for for iOS and the engine that he used and a lot of people have greatly enjoyed his adaptation of those games they cleaned it up like extra stuff for the first game especially um, second game being able to play a cut level Hidden Palace which was one of the most noticeable, notable cut levels of any video game. And potentially, there might be some extras that we don't know about, but it's supposed to come out next year. Some people I see online like that it's coming out, and if it is like the, the widescreen stuff and all these extras, it could be the real way of playing... Sonic the Hedgehog for a new generation of systems. It is, I think, believe for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch. I don't th- think the PC has. I, th- I think PC would have it, but let's take a look. Sonic Origins. Origins Collection. Yeah, this was about... About a couple weeks ago. Just looking to see what they got. Uh, I I would think it would be on every system. I, I would think backwards compatibility, it gets put on. Series S and X and uh, PS5 as well. But the, I see complaints about, like, why don't they include other stuff? Um, I see complaints about um, the Master System and Game Gear stuff. I mean, that stuff would be kind of nice, but at the same time, it, they're not exact. I mean, they're, they're, some of the games are good, some of them not so much. It, I don't know, I just don't think people would want to play these handheld releases. Although some although the Master System stuff is pretty good from what I've seen. So I he I seen complaints for Knuckles Chaotix, a game for the Sega thirty two X. That game I've played on emulator, that game freezes constantly. Like it's inconsistent with its freezing, like when it freezes and all that. I don't think the game was ever developed properly when it was being made in 94, 95. And some other stuff like Sonic Advance, Sonic Rush. The Rush games, I don't think would have... It'd be tough considering the two screens of the DS back then. Sonic Advance, I think if if someone were to do a modern re-release with a wider screen, I think it would help the games tremendously, I think. And I think the publishing here in the U.S. was THQ and not Sega, so I don't know if that has to do with anything about it. The Sonic 3 inclusion definitely will help quite a bit, because there hasn't been a re-release of that game in like 10 years, a little over a decade, on certain consoles, because of the passing of Michael Jackson in 09, and some of the, you know, the estate of him, Brad Buxer, and just... Is a convoluted mess. 
I mean, it's cool to see. Uh, would I buy it immediately? Maybe. I I don't know if I would buy it day one, but I would like to see what the price is. Because I paid 30 for Sega Genesis Classics day one uh, three years ago. If it's somewhere around that line, 25 30 bucks, yeah, I, I would definitely buy it. I just don't know if I would want to pay above what like what I had for uh, Sega Genesis Classics. Playing of Classics galore. I mean, you know, it's definitely uh, these companies do want to see modern love for some of these older stuff. I didn't know there was Frogger for for PS4 and Switch. I had no clue. Really had no clue. Uh, I'd you like to see when uh, when Battletoads came out because that game turns 30 this month and I definitely would like to uh, see when when the first game initially came out because that was like one of the big big titles to come June 1st wow I mean, this was a big deal back in mid '91 because this was like this was a later game for the original NES, and it is hailed as one of the most difficult games ever. And I would have to agree. The game has some cool concepts. I mean, it has a generic uh, story of a kidnapping and it it just it, it just feels stereotypical but it was trying to cash in on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out for the NES came out a couple years later on Sega Genesis Game Boy Game Gear uh, Amiga CD32 which was a European system and I think several others and the the gameplay, it had had race sequences, it had beat-em-up aspects, it had, had platforming elements. Two-player co-op, though, it was very buggy. Uh, although I heard they, re- heard they fixed that stuff when it got re-released to the... Uh, to Rare Replay on Xbox One. And I think I also heard that the uh, Japanese version is a little bit easier. Same thing with like the PAL version as well. Uh, three lives, three, three continues, nothing else. Your score, the score increases very quickly from the combo, from combos and races earning you points automatically. But they tried to capitalize on it and not too long ago I watched the failed cartoon pilot that was made in uh, 92. And I don't know if anybody would have really watched it if it if it wound up getting picked up. I think it could have done like a couple of years at best. But I think people would have gotten tired of that over-the-top 90s attitude 
and I think it would have faltered compared to some of the other cartoons that were being seen at the time. I mean, even like 92, I mean, you had cable starting to pick up a little bit with Cartoon Network forming that year. Rugrats, Doug and Ren Stimpy leading the way for Nickelodeon. Fox slowly becoming contenders with uh, stuff like Bobby's World, Tiny Toon Adventures, Batman, X-Men. CBS having Ninja Turtles, obviously, Garfield and several other shows. ABC with their Disney stuff and NBC focusing on focusing on uh, live action stuff. Um, animation was a little rough from what I looked at for Battletoads. You can actually you can access the cartoon for free on YouTube from the company that has the rights to it. Um, several other games came out following that, including uh, Battletoads Double Dragon from '93. Came out on NES, Game Boy, uh, Super NES, and Sega Genesis. There was a Super NES only sequel, and there was an there was an arcade game that came about in '94. And being able to play that without that was actually my first experience with Battletoads. Actually, being in '94, not '94, late '90s, and the local skating rink had Battletoads. And it was a very, very brutal game. I think I've had a couple times where I made it to the second stage and got my ass kicked. So, pretty rough, I would say, altogether. Pretty rough altogether. Uh, Being able to play it on Xbox One via Rare Replay... Not really all that great in design. I would say the NES original did better in design, though. That that doesn't that doesn't say much. Um, yeah. So end this episode here. Uh, next week will be the last episode of the season. Definitely. We'll be taking a small break from it. I would love to do a couple bonus episodes like I did last year. Talk about talk about some baseball a little bit. Actually, one of the things I forgot to talk about was um, baseball as a whole with their issues. But definitely see how things go because some. Because it could be the big controversy of the summer. But yeah, do, do some bonus episodes after doing the last episode of the season next week. Um, definitely got some stuff planned out. Talk some baseball, talk Sonic, talk, talk some other stuff that is relevant. And so, uh, before turning off for the night, uh, this podcast, like I said, is on anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content galore. So with that, Geeks and Jocks, this is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.